We are in Hebrews chapter 13 this morning, Hebrews chapter 13, it's on page 1009 of the Pew Bibles there. If you didn't bring a Bible, it'll help you to just have it open there. It's also a gift from us to you. If you didn't come with a copy of the scriptures this morning, please feel free to take that home. As we get into Hebrews 13, I'm going to share a story that I think I shared here a number of years ago, but so many of you are new. I'm just going to go ahead and share it again because I think it fits so well with this text, and it's, it's fun for me to remember. So about 12 or 13 years ago, I went on a, a mission trip to the villages of, of along the Amazon River in, in the northeast region of, of Peru. And it was, it, was a, it was a great trip, but it was a long and very different kind of trip. As you might imagine, we took a barge upriver and then got on another boat and kind of kept going upriver river further and further. And eventually, we came to, to a village. The name of the village was Contagayo. And uh, as, we, as we pulled in there, um, you could just see all of a sudden the village, everybody in it, I mean, this is, this is news, people are coming, and everybody kind of runs down the hill, down to the, to the shore, and they start helping us in and uh, finding our, our place and we were greeted uh, through translators with, with all sorts of, of warnings about poisonous snakes and spiders that could kill you on contact, which I do not like spiders at all, so it was a little unnerving. Um, we were escorted to a little place in the woods where they showed us a hole in the ground that would serve as our bathroom. And uh, they, that first night, we, I was, we were sleeping there, and I'm, I'm in a mosquito net on this, on this, this, uh, in this hut that has really there's no, no doors so the wind can come through. And right next to me, like 15 feet away, something is getting eaten alive. And it was, it was loud enough to sound big, so whatever was eating it was bigger. And it was like screaming for its life, and I'm there like, oh God, please, let me not be eaten by some kind of, you know, jungle buzzard or whatever, help me. Um, so anyway, um, it was really all pretty overwhelming. So culture shock off the charts for, for, for me. But not nearly as humbling and overwhelming as the love that we were shown by the Christians who lived in that village. These were people that we had never met before, and by our standards, really had, had basically next to nothing. But they, they showed us a kind of hospitality like I had never experienced in my life before. They insisted that we, we sleep in their hut while they slept on the dirt porch outside with the, the jungle thing that's eating people or whatever is eating. They, they dug us our own hole and then they put up, they, they knew that we would probably be a little bashful, so they put up little trees for us in front of the hole so that we would have a place to, to go to the restroom. And they went hunting. So they were so stoked about this. They, they went out hunting after we arrived and they found, you ever remember that... Um, the never-ending story. I'm not sure if you ever saw it. There's those big rats. Well, they found one of those in the jungle, and they killed it, and they brought it back on, like, a, a stake. And, to, I mean, they brought back this thing. I don't know what it was, but they went and they hunted down this dog-sized jungle rat, and they were so excited because they, they could barbecue it for us that night along with the, the, the porridge of fish, fish stew that they gave us. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was intimidating, but to see the joy that they had, how they praised God that they got this jungle rat so that they could serve us and share with us. And in one sense, 
you know, we didn't have much in common with those brothers and sisters at all. We spoke a very different language than they spoke. Our lifestyles were about as polar opposite as you might imagine. There were cultural traditions that we did not understand, menus that were distinct. But the one thing that we had in common that transcended all of those things that we shared a love for Jesus. And you could see it. It just came out of them. When they sang songs, and when they prayed prayers, and when they preached sermons that we didn't understand, but we could still be edified because the Spirit of God was just coming off of them in a way that, that marked them. We believed the same gospel that they believed. And because of that, they loved us. And they welcomed us into their homes and around their tables and into their lives. And I want you to know that that kind of love is an act of worship to God. That pleases God. And that's what we're going to be considering in our time together this morning in Hebrews chapter 13. As we conclude our study in Hebrews 13, we've come to this, this last chapter, and you'll remember that this This is a congregation made up of people who have proclaimed that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, that He is indeed the Lord, and that because of this, it is costing them everything. It's costing them friends, it's costing them jobs, it's costing them family members who are disowning them, because to align with Jesus is to reject their heritage of Judaism and to reject their culture of paganism. So they've left everything behind to follow Jesus, and it's costing them big time. And many of them are finding themselves displaced. And so the issue of hospitality among the church becomes forefront in an application of what it means to worship God. Now to help us get a running start, look back at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, in light of everything he's talked to us about the supremacy of Jesus and the glory of risking all for him. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship. So this is how it's ending. Worship God with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Now, how do we worship God? Well, verse 1, last week we talked about this. Let brotherly love continue. And now verse 2, our verse for consideration this morning Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares or without knowing it. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels without even knowing it. So here's our big idea this morning, that hospitality is an act of worship that invites others to draw near to us in order to be refreshed by Jesus. Hospitality is an act of worship that invites others to draw near to us, into our lives, into our homes, so that they may be refreshed by Jesus. Now to help us think about this, what we're going to do is take two questions similar to what we did last week. First is, what is it? What is hospitality? And then secondly, how do we show it? How do we show hospitality? So what is hospitality, and how do we show this act of worship that God delights in so much? So what is hospitality? Point number one here. 
Well, first I want to ask you, when you hear the word hospitality, what, what comes to mind? Maybe grocery shopping? Maybe cooking? Cleaning? Or at least putting everything in the dryer if the dryer's not already full before people come over? I don't know if you try that trick. It actually works. Um, having fresh towels out, ensuring that the children have not defiled all the bathrooms in the house, and you can at least point to one where people can, can go. Maybe it's the stress of getting together just the right music playlist. Do you have wine? Do you not have wine? What do Baptists do? You're not sure. So you think through that, and you call somebody, and they don't know either, and that's okay. You think about guest lists. Who are we going to have over? And then what are we going to do with them while they're here? And then the all-important question, how do we get them to leave, you know? We love you, but we love you more when you go home. <laughs> how, do you, how, does, how do we do that? Some of us think that hospitality is really just, it's, it's not for us, it's, it's for those extroverted Christians, right? Or those ones who have a, a Pinterest account and just keep Pinterest, you know, trending all the time because they're always posting new things of what they did with their, with their home. Or maybe we just... Practically, we look at our schedules and we think, when in the world am I going to be able to invite somebody over into our lives? How are we going to do one more thing? But I want us to know that when we come to the Scriptures, we find that hospitality, it is not an elective for extroverted Christians. And it's not just for retired people with big homes. Rather, it is something that all Christians are commanded to not neglect to show. You see the command there? Do not neglect to show it. So this is, this is means that we're not just called to take opportunities, but rather to make opportunities and, and to pursue opportunities. So in one sense, and we used the same picture last week, but I think it, I think it fits the same because it's in the same vein of love. This is one of those, those fires in the Christian life that you can't let die out because it can very easily die out. Especially here in, in this area of, of the world where things are so busy all the time. The Lord would say to us this morning, Delray Baptist Church, do not neglect to show hospitality. So what is hospitality then? Well, the word hospitality here is translated something like Lover of strangers or guests. Or to put it in a verb form, be a lover of strangers. Be a lover of guests. The, the root word is tied to the same word that we saw last week with brotherly love, philadelphos. Well, this same word begins with that philo word again. It's an affectionate, warm love that we're to have for strangers. For strangers. So one of the things I'm going to do this morning, which a good teacher might not do, but I'm just going to because I have the opportunity this morning, is there is a distinction between, I think, hospitality and fellowship, though I think they overlap. So I'm going to go with a lot of the overlapping this morning. You're going to hear that. But I think hospitality uniquely has the angle of opening your home and lives for people that you don't know where a Christian fellowship is y'all get together and love each other, okay, all the time, spending life together, doing life together. And I think we're going to see in the applications and the way we're approaching this morning, there is an overlap, and I intend for that to be there. But just want to be clear this morning about, about what the word means. 
And in the first century, hospitality was a necessary act of love in the church, particularly for traveling missionaries. So modern accommodations like hotels, they were super limited, and very often believers wouldn't have the cash to throw down and get a room for, for the night because it was, it was expensive to do, or it was just super risky, or why would you want to stay there when you could stay with other Christians and be edified and be built up? So traveling missionaries were regularly coming through and visiting different, different Christians and staying in one another's homes, and you would have often very little notice for that. Also, another factor that I already mentioned was that of persecution. If you follow Jesus, it costs you something. Whether you're in the first century or the 21st century, it costs you something. And if not, then you're not following Jesus. It costs everybody something. But for some people, and particularly here in this this congregation that the letter of Hebrews is written to, it was costing them a lot. Social, Social persecution was turned up high. Families were disowning them, kicking them out. They were losing jobs so they didn't have money to pay for their own homes. And Christians who did have homes had to open their homes to receive guests and strangers. Hospitality is a form of practical generosity that as we read this morning, Jesus says is actually evidence of our salvation. On that last day of judgment... The way that we loved other people in practical ways is either evidence for us or against us if we didn't do it. Again, those things don't save us, but it's evidence. It's fruit that comes from the root of being in Christ. Just listen again. We've read it. This will now be the third time in two weeks, but important. I was hungry, Jesus said, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger. That same word in our text, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison prison and you came to me. And then the Lord says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. So biblical hospitality certainly can involve bedsheets and toothbrushes and some meals. That is certainly true. But, but I want us to think even deeper than that. It, it is more than just opening your home. It is opening your home. Or being apart with somebody else as they're opening their home. We'll talk about that as we think about practically how to do it. But it's also the opening of your life. And this is why I think it's really hard for a lot of us. Because to be hospitable means you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to let people in to your world. It's so easy to show up here at the right time, in the right place, wearing the right stuff, stand up, sit down, smile when you're supposed to, hey, go get them, brother, better not deserve, all that kind of stuff, and then just kind of go on. That's, that's pretty easy to do. Any social chameleon can do that. But to be a Christian, there comes a point when you say, all right, I'm taking down masks. I'm not doing a show anymore. And if we're going to love each other, you just got to know what life's like for me. And I've got to know what life's like for you. And that's terrifying for a lot of us. This is one of the things we encourage here at Delray Baptist Church is intentionally intrusive relationships. Not, not up in your business because we want to be gossipy and post stuff on Facebook about you, but, but in your lives because we care about you. 
And if we don't, we need to repent of that and begin caring about you. And we need you to care about us in the same way. We want to open our lives that we might refresh others with the gospel. So if I'm given a definition to hospitality, I would say it's this. That hospitality is a spirit of service that invites others into your home and into your life to show them the love of Christ. Hospitality is a spirit of service that invites others into your home and into your life to show them the love of Christ. It's a spirit of service that invites into our home, into our lives, so that Jesus might be seen in all the weird, messed up ways that we represent him. So hospitality, when we think about this, we want to think about what, is that, what does that look like? How do, we, how do we understand, do we have a model for that? And we'd say, yes, the supreme example of hospitality in, in the Bible and in human history is the life of Jesus himself. When, when you think through the Gospels, hospitality was a normal part of Jesus' ministry. Not that he had people over to his house because he didn't have a house. That's right. He didn't have one. But everywhere he went, you see scene after scene after scene that most of his ministry was in and around people's homes. It was around dinner tables. They were, li- they were, they were reclining and, and dining together. There were so many ministry moments that you see in the Gospels that are around tables, that are around dining. Luke chapter 7 verse 34 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. So what what was one of the things that Jesus did? He parted, y'all. He did. He came and he hung out with people. So much so, this is such a big part of his ministry that his opponents called him a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus got the reputation of, oh, Jesus coming? Well, you better get better get your house ready because he's coming in. And he's going to eat with y'all. And he's going to start talking to y'all. Watch out because here he comes. And whenever he tells a story, you're in a lot of trouble because those parables will get you. But that's what he does. <laughs> Jesus, all of his ministry, so much of it is around, around the table. Pause. I think, by the way, it's part of God's design in meals. Meals are not just to sustain life so that we can go on and make a bunch of money. Meals are opportunities to love people. It's where you turn off the TV, you put your stupid phone away. Lord, help me. You put your stupid phone away, and you talk to humans. And you, you, you ask them questions, and you hear stories, and you get to know them. Jesus used open homes as open doors to speak gospel truth. Jesus used meals as an opportunity to speak about eternity. He used it also as a training ground for his disciples who followed him. If I was Jesus, I would not want those guys with me all the time. I mean, they're always saying crazy, weird stuff. But Jesus always brings his posse with him. He shows up at, the, at the, the wedding and all the meals. I mean, Jesus always has his guys with him. And they're watching how Jesus is ministering. And they too begin ministering, always. It's, it's a way the discipleship happens. In John chapter 13, Jesus showed hospitality by stooping down and washing his disciples' feet, which was an act of hospitality, 
that normally the host would, would have arranged for a servant to do, but Jesus showed the hospitality by doing the, the act of a servant himself. And then he said to his disciples, a servant's not above his master. If I love you guys like this, you too are to love one another as servants. And then just a few hours later, the ultimate act of service was offered. Where Jesus, who had become flesh dwelt uh, and dwelt among us, and rather than embracing him, we rejected him. We would not host the Lord of hosts, but rather nailed him to a cross and buried him in a grave. Said, we are done with you. It was the ultimate inhospitable act that the the creature says to the creator, you're not welcome here. And lest any of us get on our high horse and think, well, we never would have done that if Jesus was here. The very, all of us have done that in our hearts. We have said, Lord, you will not reign in here. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. You will not reign in me. I will not love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength because I love my own life and I want to do what I want to do. Now, we might not couch it in those exact terms, but that sinful rebellion is something that all humans have done. We have rejected the Lord. But amazingly, God is persistent with his invitation for fellowship. And what he does is he extends an offer. That anybody who will turn from their rebellion and trust in Christ, that they will be reconciled to Him. John 1.12 says, As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. So we who were once enemies are now seated at His table as friends. We sing a song about that. Jesus, thank you. Ephesians 2 says, We who were once far off have now been brought near. And as we have been brought near through faith, we now await his return, knowing that he has gone to do what? What's Jesus doing right now, John 14? Preparing a place for you. He's getting a house ready for his people to be with forevermore. And in God's eternal kingdom, we will feast with him, not merely as guests, but as God's adopted sons and daughters. He has welcomed former rebels not just over for supper, but over forever. That's amazing. Yes, yes, that's amazing. That's, what, that's the good news of the gospel. That through Christ, God reconciles us to himself and to one another. And that reconciliation acts as the motivation for our own hospitality. Listen to this from Romans fifteen seven. Great verse. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So it glorifies God. It's worship to God when we welcome one another into our homes, into our lives, in the same way that Christ welcomed us. We have tasted of his sacrificing, inviting love, and now we are called to extend that same kind of sacrificial, inviting love to others. 
So in one very real practical sense, hospitality reflects and personalizes and embodies the gospel. It is one of the most practical and important ways that we show the love of Christ to other people. We serve as we have been served. Welcome as we have been welcomed. And it's still a struggle, and God knows this. That's why he says in 1 Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Doesn't God just know our heart? Because already, you're hearing this sermon, and you're like, all right, God, whatever, I'll do it. And you start, you're not listening anymore, and you're just making notes of who you're going to invite over, what you're going to do. And, and, but there, it's easy for that heart to start going, I'll do it, Jesus, but I'm not happy about it. <laughs> like, be honest with him about that. And say, Lord, what is that in me that's so selfish? God, what is that? Put that to death in me. Help me. So he wants it, not just, he doesn't just want it on your calendar. He wants it from your heart. Do it without grumbling. Because it is easy to focus on the inconvenience of hospitality and the time that it's going to cost. Or the work in potentially cleaning, which I don't, you don't really have to do. We'll get to that in a minute. Privacy, it's intrusive. You worry what someone thinks. You could be tempted to think that, hey, listen, this is my life, my time, my stuff. But actually, the Christian knows that that's not true. It's actually God's time that he's giving you, and it's his house that he given to you. And any talents or abilities that you have only come from him. And every bit of money that you've ever made is only because he gave the ability to make it. So actually, everything that you have is actually his. And ought be used in worship for him. Now, before we move into practically how we should do this, I want to go ahead and give a disclaimer, which I think is really helpful in a talk like this. Because right now, many introverts are laying over just crushed. Here's, here's your word of encouragement, okay? Um, a pastor friend of, my, a friend of mine says, we all have different amounts of relational capital. Use what God has given to you. So you don't need to feel guilty if you aren't serving as others do. You be faithful with what God has given you. It is easy. It's easy for Carrie and I to do this, to, to, to compare ourselves to others in the ways that others can do whatever. But that's, that's not what we're called to do. And when you feel insufficient, remember that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus loves to help insufficient people. That's actually who he came to help. So bring your insufficiencies and say, God help me, and by his grace, do not neglect to show hospitality. Which brings us to our our second point. How do we do this? How should we then show hospitality? If it's such a significant thing that illustrates the life of Jesus so clearly, how should we then show hospitality? To help us think about this, we're going to give you seven considerations. Number one, prayerfully plan to practice hospitality prayerfully plan to do it. What that means is sit down soon with yourself if you live by yourself or with your roommate if you live with a roommate or with your spouse if you're married with your family if you've got family and sit down and talk about this. Read over some of these verses that we were talking about this morning and pray together and say God what would you have us do? What's a good place to start and begin to make plans? So, for instance, Sunday morning. How do you use your Sunday morning gathering? How do you use this 
do you think about hospitality? I don't know what your experience has been coming here, but one of the things we regularly get in comment cards and emails and people who are joining the church say that this church is marked by several things, but one of them is that it's a warm place. Not just that the AC isn't working as well as it could, but that it's a warm space in the sense of hospitality, that people are welcoming and kind. If that has not been your experience, we apologize on behalf of that. We intend to be that way. But for those of you who are new here, it is you need to be that. Welcome people. Say hello to people. Be intentional to greet people. And if that's really hard for you, just make it a goal to say, okay, I'm going to say hi to one person, and then I'll go sit down by myself. That's a great start. And go over and just introduce yourself. And it's fine if you say, hi, my name's, whatever your name is, um, have I met you before? Uh, and they say, uh, well, you know, I've been here for two years now. And be like, well, great. I'm glad to finally meet you. And that's fine. That's okay. Just be normal and say hi to people. How about Sundays after church? How are you using those? I know a lot of community groups meet together, uh, and that's a great way to use it, great way, great time for fellowship and hospitality. But in the summertime, we don't have community groups formally. So please, here's your permission slip to love people by opening your homes. Invite people over into your homes. Figure out a way to do that. Or one of the things Paul used to do, and Paul and his family would do, was afterwards, every once in a while, they would order pizza, and they would have it delivered. They'd just get a bunch of pies, and they'd go around and be like, hey, do you have lunch plans? Hey, do you have lunch plans? We're just going to eat them back and talk. Come on. Do that. Use it. If you want to do that, let us know. Okay? Use your Sunday mornings in this aim. And I know not every Sunday morning can be like that. But how about during the week? Maybe, maybe make a plan. How many? Maybe you could have a person over a month or two, two people over a month. Get out the directory and pray and figure out who lives near you. If you need help with figuring out who, need, who lives near you, we'd be glad to help you with that. Maybe your family or your community group could, could host a dinner for new members. So there's always a new members board out here. Again, you do not need a permission slip to just call all the new members and call a couple old members uh, and say, hey, listen, we're going to have a little barbecue at our house. Why don't you just come on? Do that. God uses that. Or maybe community groups or families or people who live near together, um, live near each other. What about a block party for all your non-Christian friends or non-Christian neighbors who would never darken a church but might come to a barbecue and hang out? You begin there. Or maybe some of you have a room that's available for a brother or sister. If you have an open room and you think, you know what, this is something we'd like to use for the glory of God, either to host a brother or sister who's in need, who financially is just struggling, or if missionaries come in town and they need a place to, to land for a couple days or a week or two weeks if they're on furlough or however long, or if you want to host for a semester for like an intern, let us know so that we can help you to host people. It's a good way for Christians to use their homes. So prayerfully plan to practice hospitality, knowing that if you don't plan, it will not happen. Number two, practice hospitality to edify each other. So think of yourselves, so again, practice hospitality to edify others. This is for Christians in particular. Think of yourselves as co-hosts with Christ. That Jesus is with us always. We want to invite others into our lives to talk about what that, what that looks like. It is good to have friendships where you watch the game or you watch a movie or you just hang out. That's good, but as Christians... We should seek to always be intentional to be building each other up. 
to spend time together. So one of the things that if you don't do this regularly, I highly encourage you to do this. Please, ask each other your testimonies, your story of how did you become a Christian. Tell me about what life was like before you became a Christian, how you became a Christian, what it's like following Jesus now, how's he changing you now, and don't give me the short version. Like, the whole night, we want to hear your story. Tell us. Let's rejoice together about what God has done, and then let's pray for you. And then, why don't we come back next month, and I'll, I'll share my story. There are a few things more encouraging for me than to hear people's stories about how they came to know Jesus and what God's doing in their lives. Use your homes as a platform for giving God glory through that kind of, of conversation. Also, one of the hidden blessings that, that um, comes with showing hospitality for those who are doing the Lord's work is that we are not only sharing our homes, but we also get to share in the work of the gospel ministry. Listen to this from 3 John. 3 John 7. They have gone out for the sake of the name. Talking about Christian mar- uh, missionaries. Accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Meaning they didn't, they didn't go get a mon- uh, money from a bunch of non-Christians, but rather they're getting it from Christians so that they can say only God has supplied our needs. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may, ha- we may be fellow workers for the truth. There's a way that we actually partner in gospel ministry when we offer hospitality to people who are doing gospel ministry. Think about how you might be able to use your, your home in that way, and if you need help, we would love to talk to you about it. Thirdly, practice hospitality as an act of service. Practice hospitality as an act of service. This is more about the, the heart posture. Keep in mind why you're serving. You're not serving for applause. You're not serving to impress. You are serving to be a blessing to others. Don't allow your hospitality to have strings attached. If when people leave, you feel kind of bitter because nobody came up and said, yo, you crushed it. (laughs) Just ask the Lord, why does that bother me so much? Really serve people. And if someone says thank you, praise God. But in the end, work unto the Lord and know that a reward is ultimately from from him. And I think most of us, if we're honest, can recall a time when we've tried to extend friendship and we've been met with rejection. And that's scarred a lot of us. It's hard to open up and make ourselves vulnerable and say, okay, I'm going to give it a try. I'm, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to prepare some stuff. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to send out an email, and I'm going to say, I'm having people over tonight. We're going to do a little prayer and a little talking and some desserts, and this is like big time. I'm risking everything, and you send out the email, and it's just crickets, and nobody shows. And then you sit there from 7 to 9 when you kind of hope that you'd have some fellowship, and you're just reassured of how much your life is miserable and how you're never going to have friends. We may laugh at that, but like that, that happens. And that's hard. And if that's happened to you, my encouragement to you would be to just keep trying. Just keep trying. And if you keep hitting walls, let one of the elders know. And we would love, when we're doing hospitality, to say, hey, come help us. Which is a really practical way for those of you who maybe don't have a home, that you're like, I can't really invite people over. Like, grab somebody who you think might have a home and say, listen, I'd love to help you next time you're having people over to your house. I want, I want to be there to, to help. We love that. That's, it's, it's, it's hugely helpful. 
Number four, practice hospitality to bring unity to our diversity. Practice hospitality to bring unity to our diversity. So we gave some applications on unity and diversity last week, but we need to do it again. Through the gospel, God brings unity to people who would otherwise have nothing in common. Like, pause for just a second and look around the room. I mean, there are people from all kinds of different walks of life that really, we would not be all hanging out right now if it weren't for Jesus. And that's okay. God knows that, and he set it up that way. But there's something peculiar about this, and I pray as we increase in diversity, that it will be peculiar to the world. They will say, why do y'all who have nothing in common love each other and hang out? It's because of Jesus. So when you think about being hospitable, consider having people into your home who aren't exactly like you. People maybe with different cultural backgrounds or ages or skin color or economic situations or political affiliations. And don't talk about politics when you do it. Different marital statuses. This is one of the ways that he brings unity to diversity. So a couple words for our brothers and sisters who maybe have an ethnic, min- or ethnic minorities. Number one, if you get an invitation, don't feel like they're targeting you because, oh, they heard what the preacher said, and now they're, in, they're, inviting, they're inviting the black friend. Please, please, let's be patient with one another as we do that. And, in the, and if the invitations don't come, please, don't be discouraged. And if you are discouraged, let's pray about it and let's talk about it. We want to be a church that loves one another. Let's talk about these things together and try to, try to, try to live this out because it brings glory to God. So families, do you have unmarried people over to your home regularly for more than just babysitting? Just asking. Invite people into your lives. Singles, do you guys band together and find creative ways to host children for married people so they can go out on date nights? Just saying. We can love each other in this. It's good. Everyone. Who's somebody you've never met in this church? As we grow, that'll be easier to figure out. Invite them over. Get to know them. God uses that to help bring unity in our diversity. The elders can help you think through it if you want. Fifthly, practice hospitality as a way to share the gospel with non-Christians. Practice hospitality as a way to share the gospel with non-Christians. There are few more effective evangelistic methods than to say, come and see and dine with me. See our lives. Come into our home. Get to know us. Let us get to know you. Let us hear your story. Hear our story. Watch how we live. Behold our God. And don't feel like you're a project because you're not a project. You're a person. Which is one of the, people, one of the things to remember as we host people. When you're hosting non-Christians, don't see them as projects. They're people. Get to know people and love them. And yes, if you're a non-Christian here, yes, we want to see you become a Christian. That is, there's no doubt in that. But please know that we love you as a human. And if we don't, that's actually a sin. We, we want to do that well. 
So Jing, who is one of our uh, new members, you'll see her face out there on, on, on the board. She grew up in China, and she saw God change her fiancé, Alvin, who she said was the last person who would ever believe because he was so rational and he loved science. He would never become a Christian, she said. But he did become a Christian. And um, in her baptismal testimony, if you remember, she, she shared about that. Well, one of the things she shared with me during our, um, during our membership interview that was so encouraging was she talked about how she, she would visit the community group that Alvin was a part of. And she said, I saw Christians live together and love each other. And God used this to help me believe what they said about Jesus. Did you hear that? How love and life together acts as an apologetic, a proof that what Jesus says is really true. Another person that some of you may have have heard about, I've heard her testimony. I intend to to read her book this summer, but uh, Rosaria Butterfield was a, uh, is, is a lady who um, was a former lesbian professor of women's studies at Syracuse. And she just happened to move in next door to a Christian pastor who befriended her and used hospitality as a way to develop a relationship, which she said became a friendship, which eventually became the way that she came to believe in Jesus. Listen to just what she said. Ken and and Floyd, the pastor and his wife, did something at the meal that has a long Christian history, but has been, um, I'm sorry, did something, yeah, through the meal that has a long Christian history, but has been functionally lost in too many Christian homes. Ken and Floyd invited this stranger in, not to scapegoat me, but to listen and to learn and to dialogue. Ken and Floyd have a vulnerable and transparent faith. We didn't debate worldview. We talked about our personal truth and about what made us tick. Ken and Floyd didn't identify with me. They were clear that they accepted me, but they did not approve of my sin. She said, which was fine, because I had lots of people who did. She said, but they listened to me, and they identified with Christ. They were willing to walk the long journey with me in Christian compassion. During our meals, speaking about their first meal and the first couple meals, they did not share the gospel with me. After our meal, they did not invite me to church. Because of these glaring omissions to the Christian script as I had come to know it, when the pastor, uh, evening, uh, when, the, when, the, uh, when the evening ended, the pastor Ken said he wanted to stay in touch. And I knew that it was truly safe to accept his open hand. One of the things we need to do as Christians is pray for pace and wisdom. It is easy to view non-Christians as targets, especially someone maybe from, from, from the homosexual community. Eventually they did pray with, that, with her, and eventually they did invite her to church, and she went, and she thought it was the weirdest thing she had ever experienced. And eventually, they did share the gospel. And then through patient, hospitable love, she became a Christian. Because the gospel saves. She said in an interview that hospitality is ground zero for evangelizing gay and lesbians. And the reason is because of how strong the gay and lesbian community is. 
For those of us who have friends and family members know how strong that community is because so many have been, have been rejected and cast out, but there's, there's, there's a true love that's experienced in that community that very often is, is not experienced anywhere else. And what they get from Christians oftentimes is hate and disdain. So this is why hospitality, where Christians invite others into their homes and say, come and just watch us and let us watch you and let us learn about life together. God uses that. If you need wisdom in how to sort through that, that's one of the reasons the elders are here. But we want to encourage you to consider ways to do it. One other word about evangelism on this. One of the things that our church is praying for is that we would be a church that reaches Middle Eastern communities that are around us. God, in his wisdom and providence, has, has surrounded us with the nations. We Christians, for decades, for centuries, have prayed that we would find ways to get missionaries to unreached people groups. Well, God, in his mercy, has brought unreached people groups to us. They live all around us. And it is quite common in their cultures for hospitality to be the norm. That's what you do. You hang out together. But most of them have never been shown hospitality by an American. What if Christians would say, you know what? We are going to lay down fears, prejudices, potential racism, whatever it may be, and say, we are going to be used by God And we are going to be a place of hospitality where people who right now are following after a false god can see the joy and the hope that comes from the true God, Jesus Christ. My prayer is that we would be a church that's like that. I want us to be like that. I think it glorifies God to be like that. doesn't mean everybody has to do it in the same way. But pray and ask God, what, what would hinder you from opening your home to someone from a different cultural background or a different background of any of the things that we've talked about this morning? What would hinder you? Is it fear? Is it self-righteousness? I'm not sure of a gospel reason that would hinder you. Sure, there needs to be wisdom with thinking about what to expose young children to and all this kind of stuff, but, you know... And listen, I've got kids and just got a new one. So we're thinking through this. It's rare to find a child that grows up super sheltered. And then when you talk to them, when they finally get to college and they're around normal humans, and for them to say, you know what, I wish my parents would have sheltered me a little more. I actually think that sometimes in our attempts to, to shelter... We can, we can do undo, not harm, potentially harm. I'm sorting through this as well, but we want to be preparing our children to be missionaries, wherever they end up, to be able to love people. We want to pray for wisdom of how to do that as a church. We want to be patient with each other on our convictions of how we do that, but we want to be a people who are risking all for the glory of God. So practice hospitality as a way to share the gospel. One of the things uh, uh, Miss Butterfield said, she said, God never gets the address wrong. Meaning, your address is right. God puts you where you are for a reason. That's your mission field. 
Let's pray that we use it well. Number six, hospitality, practice hospitality as an act of faith. This goes right with what we were just talking about. Practice hospitality as, a, as an act of faith. You never know how God will use your willingness to open your home and your life. You just never know. You never know what kind of lifelong friendships, marriages, encouragement might be brought through these simple acts of saying, why don't y'all come over and have a meal? Or greeting somebody on a Sunday morning. I can't tell you how many people have told me, I'm going to probably cry, where is she? I don't know, Kelly Blomgren, wherever you are, we're going to miss you guys when you move. I can't tell you how many people in membership interviews have told me that this girl just came up and she greeted me. She was this just really super hospitable woman who just got outside of herself and said hi to me. I have numbers of membership interviews where that's people's testimonies, that God used that. And not everybody needs to be, you know, super outgoing. But use what God's given you. You never know what he might do with opening your home to an intern or to a missionary family. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels without knowing it. Our willingness to extend hospitality may have far-reaching impact. In the lives of Abraham and Sarah, uh, Lot, Gideon, Manoah, all those people welcome strangers into their house, and they turn out to be angels. I'm not promising any of that. I don't know, you know. All he's saying is you never know. You just never know what God's going to do, Okay? Practicing hospitality is much like any other command that God gives us. When we act in faith and trust that God will work through obedience for his glory and for our good. So practice hospitality as an act of faith and say, God, use this however you might. And don't get discouraged if you don't see stuff right away. Fruit takes time. You just keep sowing, keep praying, keep watering, let God give the growth. Number seven. Because it's all heading somewhere. Practice hospitality with the end in mind. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 8 says this. Listen to this. This is a connection I never would have made. The end of all things is at hand. That means the end of the world's coming. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love, love covers a multitude of sins. And show hospitality. Is that not the, that would never put that pairing together. It's the end of the world. So invite people over to your house. But the reason is because what happens there, it is how God moves. He uses that. Jesus promised that one day soon, he would eat and drink with his disciples in the kingdom. So as we practice hospitality, do it with the end in mind. That there's a day coming when we will be with Him in His kingdom. One day soon, we will share in His inheritance for all eternity. One day soon, we will be gathered with brothers and sisters from every tribe, tongue, and nation, weak and strong, kings and beggars, some of whom will be won through hospitable evangelistic conversations who have trusted in Christ. And our generosity and our hospitality should always be done with that day in mind. That we're heading to a banquet. We're going to that place that Jesus has prepared for us. We're going to that feast and we want to bring as many people with us as possible. 
So we want to use our homes as little previews of that. So we pray over dinner with that meal in mind. We host with that meal in mind. Whether encouraging others to make it there or calling others to be invited there. Speak of that day. Encourage one another with those words. Our words of invitation to each other, our meals together, our laughter together, our tears together, our testifying of God's grace together. All of these are acts of love that we should do with anticipation that one day we will be at his table. We will dine with him. I'm going to conclude just by reading one of my now new favorite passages from Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. I just want you to listen to this picture. And then I'm going to close this in prayer. On this mountain, Mount Zion, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. And on this mountain, He will destroy the shroud that unfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations, talking about the sheet that covers you up when you're dead. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, and he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. Brothers and sisters, we practice hospitality with that day in mind when we will feast with the King. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank You that You are the kind of God who gives such commands showing us that what you want from your people is not just dry, distant, dead, empty religion, but that you want us to be a people who are patient and kind and gentle and loving and open with one another and with people who don't know you. God, would you mark this church as not just being a people who are right on doctrine, but might you mark us as a people who, in light of truths that we believe, that we would extend hospitality. That you would make Sunday mornings a warm place. A place where yeah, where a weary world and weary travelers can come and be refreshed. That you would make our homes a place of peace for, for neighbors and co-workers and friends who, who know nothing but war in this world. God, might you use our feeble acts of faith, our offering of cereal, mac and cheese, or whatever. Use these little things to save people. Open doors for gospel conversation. Might you give us humility and compassion and put to death anything in us that would hinder us from obeying these commands. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We pray in the name of Jesus.